LinkedIn presents. From entrepreneurship to global business leadership, from challenges to self-discovery to our ever-changing future, what separates those who win and those who get passed by? This is the Yes Factor with Winnie Sun. There's some new terms gaining traction now. Have you heard of the creator's economy or disruptive media? You know that the way that we used to consume content will never quite be the same. Just think about how far we've already come. Remember the days when we were just watching on TVs only or listening to the radio in the car? It's really not as relevant as it used to be. Now the content comes to us in the way and ease that we want it. And brands have had to look at reaching our attention so differently as well. The internet has created so much wealth, and Reza Azad, the co-founder and partner at Underscore Talent, is here to share with us where we should be thinking of building out more market share and brand development. His company, Underscore Talent, is the leading next-generation management firm known for its successful and diverse creative talent, representing over 200 creators on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and so many others. Prior to co-founding Underscore Talent, Reza was the co-founder and CEO of Studio 71, which is a multi-platform media company that produces and distributes original entertainment programming for a whole bunch of social platforms, including YouTube. And they were actually the number one YouTube partner in Minutes Watch. In 2015, Reza negotiated the sale of Studio 71 at a valuation of $185 million. And he shared that the company's valuation was previously valued at $425 million. And since the initial investment, Studio 71's revenue has grown by 7x. Please meet Reza Azad. We have a very special guest. I want to bring him onto the show. Hello, Reza. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Well, I am so honored to be able to share this time with you, my friend. You know, in celebration of you, I was hoping we might be able to take a moment and ask you to maybe talk about, and let's start from the beginning. Tell us about um, how you got to this position and maybe a little bit about the journey. Sure. I mean, I, I, I w- went to college and I had a dr- sort of my dream was to go work in the movie business. So if you asked around what was the best way to go do that, everyone said you need to start at a talent agency. And so I started my journey like so many people before me working in a mail room um, at a company called the United Talent Agency. And I was promoted to become an agent at a time when Interpublic, the ad agency, had tried to buy the company but couldn't. And there was just a large retainer relationship sort of set up between the two companies such that we were starting to advise them on essentially how to get ahead of the 30-second commercial in television. And the reality is in the you know, the, the mid-90s, getting ahead of the 30-second commercial in television was very hard to do. And so we sort of pivoted that relationship into helping them execute brand work with musicians, right? I had a number of clients like Bausch & Lomb and Kenneth Cole and uh, Nike, the the division called Brand Jordan, we did a lot of work for, and they would pay us a consulting fee essentially to help them sort of do their entertainment um, activities. And that sort of over a two-year period of doing that, two, three years, 
it pivoted into sort of me starting to work directly with musicians themselves and, and, and clients themselves. And so I built a very nice roster of, of talent while I was working at the agency. So I represented Prince when he was the symbol, you know, he was, he was the artist. I worked with Eminem um, from his first album all the way through Eight Mile. I was involved with the music from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which was a pretty significant touring and sort of music project tied to a movie, which was kind of interesting. And so I was kind of, uh, you know, going along that path. And in 2002, Eight Mile came out, Oh Brother had sort of come to an end. And I was looking forward and I thought maybe there would be a good time to pivot to something new. And so uh, a good friend of mine was starting um, a management company at the time called The Collective. And I joined him, I think the company was about a year old, um, and I joined him at that business. And the thesis at the time, and this is kind of a slightly different thesis, but you'll sort of see how advertising and what I'm about to say sort of connects. The thesis was disintermediation was starting to happen, right? Uh, Napster was starting to really hurt the record companies 2002, 2003, 2004. Um, and platforms were showing up. And at the time it was you know, the Friendsters of the world, very, very early, you know, Facebook, things like that um, were coming in and, and starting to disrupt. So you could you could see a world where talent was able to go direct to the consumer. And the thesis of the collective was going direct to consumer. If you could build the right ecosystem, managers who historically partner with their clients um, as producers, but don't partner, you know, deeply in the business of their clients from a from an ownership point of view of the content, maybe we could give it a shot and try to own something alongside our clients and give everyone sort of a, a better economic stake in the pie. And so we started that journey, we had a lot of success. Um, we built a pretty robust music management firm, you know, during that period. So we represented bands like Linkin Park, uh, Enrique Iglesias, we worked with Slash from Guns N' Roses, we worked with Kanye West for, you know, several years. What was interesting is we, we sort of got a lot of business like this because we were, you know, we were really forward on the digital marketing side. This is right around when YouTube, so I'm now skipping forward to 2009. And in 2009, the early YouTube, first generation YouTube creator started, start, we started working with him. A gentleman in our office signed a guy named Lucas Cruikshank, who created the character Fred on YouTube, which at the time was the biggest thing on that platform. Since we were more traditional content people, we decided to uh, do a Christmas album with him. Because uh, if, you, if you know the character Fred, many of you might not, but if you do, it was a very high-pitched voice that uh, he put on in the character and so it's someone said it sounded like a chipmunk so we naturally said let's try something out like a music a christmas album like the chipmunks had done and so we we, we did that and it was quite successful we connected youtube and itunes very very rudimentary relative to what's happening today and sold a hundred thousand copies of of that album or of the the, the downloads of the singles and then we decided to maybe put some of that money to work that we'd earned on that project, you know, to, to fund what became the Fred movie. So we brought in a well-known producer named Brian Robbins, and we started the process of um, packaging the Fred movies, which we jointly funded. And in 2010, I believe the Fred movie was the highest rated movie in cable. And that was a pretty big thing because this had come from a small, you know, part of the you know, internet ecosystem, right? It was YouTube in 2010. And 
we'd really been able to see sort of the convergence of audience migrating from one platform to another. And, and, and the show was a, like I said, a, a significant success. So that led to two other movies and 25 and a half hours of television. A lot of content was created off of that initial sort of success. We started in a very traditional manner, starting to represent generation one of YouTube talent. They all sort of came to our shores based on that early success. And so we represented Freddie Wong, Epic Mealtime, Toby Turner, um, Ray William Johnson. These are all names that if you were a young, you know, 16, 18 year old person, you probably are very familiar to you at that time. What we started to see then, you know, as the, the firm, we started to see what was happening in the emerging sort of MCN marketplace. So we saw the makers and the full screen were, were just starting. We looked at the business model and it seemed really interesting. And it seemed like the direct to consumer opportunity, frankly, when we were talking about the thesis of the collective, this really matched what we were, what we were envisioning. And so we decided to sort of pivot our business or representation business into starting an MCN. And, and very quickly, it became clear that this was going to be the business to put all your efforts in. And so my partners and I had a series of discussions and we decided that that's what we we're going to do. And so that, you know, we pivoted and that became Studio 71, which you so elegantly described. Now with Underscore, you know, when 10 years later, right, just the difference in time from when we started what became Studio 71 to today, the market's really different, right? So what was a YouTube page where maybe you did some brand deals and maybe you sold some t-shirts and if you were lucky, there was some IP that you could do or something like that. Today, that world is much more complex, right? You have five, six, seven different platforms that you probably need to be on, right? You need to be on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. Then you need to probably have a Discord server. And if you're a gamer, you need to be on Twitch and you need all these community tools and things like that. So the world of the creator has gotten increasingly complicated and sophisticated. There are billions of dollars in advertising trying to reach these consumers through this talent base, right? Tons of entrepreneurial business opportunities because what works for corporate America also works on the creator's account. So there's many startups coming looking to sort of differentiate through marketing their product, their service, their, their, their thing through this type of creator. And so you know, we believe that a more sophisticated, a larger, the, the opportunity is sort of shifted back to representation and that, you know, um, we're sort of setting about trying to build sort of one of the leaders in this space, working with a whole host of, of talent. So whether you're a TikToker or a gamer, we would like to have the people and the skill sets and the capabilities to help you grow your business. And I think just while we're on that sort of topic, and then I'll I'll, I'll sort of shut up. Um, the reality, there's a big difference between a, a successful musician and a movie star and a very successful digital creator. Most digital creators don't, when they partner with a platform or with, with a brand, they're fully responsible for the execution, right? And so when a movie star goes and works for Netflix or does a big movie with a studio, there's an entire apparatus that's set up to make everything happen. And in this world, everyone's sort of, you know, you're very much on your own. And we believe that sort of that manager relationship built with and supported with a pillar of, of services and infrastructure 
can really help support that creator in all their execution needs and endeavors as, as they sort of go through sort of the, the, the process of growing their businesses. I think you said it so eloquently, actually. I'm going to say thank you so much for sharing that. It's incredible. I think there was so much foresight in that you're seeing a platform like YouTube in 2010. I think many people were thinking this might be just somebody, you know, posting puppy videos or home videos. But the, the having the foresight to saying that this can be great business for us and really going all in is incredible. I really want to talk about this. So the creator's economy, I've heard you talk about this. I would like you to explain what this means to you. Yeah. So look, the creator economy in a very simplified explanation is right. We have some of the largest communication platforms in the world, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, right? And many others. Podcasting is another part of the creator economy. Substack for writers, things like that are enabling and they're, they're, you know, normally just to, I think what's a big differentiator normally if you want to make a show for Netflix, you got to go ask per permission. They have to agree to pay you for it, right? And then you give them what you do and they, they go out and monetize it. In the creator economy, anyone, right, can get on these platforms and can create content and reach an audience and, and build some sort of relationship with a group of people on, the, on these platforms. And I think that's, that's the world we are defining as sort of the, the creator economy. And what's happened is what started out, you know, 10 years ago as a business that a lot of people ran out of their garages today is I think one of the largest segments, if not the largest segment of the entertainment and communication business, right? YouTube alone is going to pay out what, 10, $15 billion this year to creators. Brands are going to spend another, depending on who you read, between 10 and 16 billion on advertising, not on the platforms, but with creators who will take their message direct to the consumer through their content. Then you have Facebook, Twitch, all these other, that's another several billion dollars in creator earnings. The podcast business is also a several billion dollar marketplace at this point, I believe. And so you add that up, you know, you're looking at a 30, 40 billion dollar market for the creators. And the challenge though, in, in the creator economy is not all creators are equal. There's so many people in this, in this ecosystem. And so that's the sort of challenge because that, that money is being paid out to it's it tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of creators are earning that pie. And so for us to be successful, we sort of have to be pretty good at differentiating what I would call commoditized content from sort of the one of ones, right? We're still in the one of one business. That's what we're trying to identify is who's that person in whatever genre or vertical that they're operating that can break through. And so that's the, that's a, hopefully that's a clear definition of the creator economy. I kind of went back to how I'm thinking about it, but there you go. No, it's perfect. It was very clear. And in fact, I think we would agree. I mean, many people watching today and listening to you are saying, yes, I, I totally understand what Reza is saying. I mean, for for years, like I used to work on a TV show called Americans Funniest Home Videos. And there's yeah. a, the whole set and there's camera people and there's producers, there's the line producer, you know, people who change the script on the fly. But when you are a creator today, 
where like you talked about this vast majority, the vast majority of independent creators have to do everything, right? From finding the platform to the lighting, to the camera and everything else. So it can be very overwhelming if this is not your day job, but you said, you know, you were able to identify these creators very early on. So talk about to this, if you can, about how underscore talent plays a role in the creator's economy. You're definitely, you know, big player in this space. I mean, what value do you think that you are offering most to your creators and what are you excited about for the next stage? I would say there's several um, opportunities we provide our clients. So the, the, the biggest one and the most obvious one and sort of what I would call the table stakes to doing what we do. So we act as sort of a fiduciary for our clients. So we represent our clients' interests with all the platforms and all the brands that they're going to sort of interact with over the course of a year. And we sort of help try to come up with a strategy such that they're progressing their business along. So making sure that the creators we're working with are well covered in the advertising market is a core part of what we do. So brand deals is a, is a, is a significant part of it. But I, like I said, I would call that table stakes. The next key part of it is making sure that their content is on as many platforms as possible that makes sense and that they're maximizing their revenue opportunities. And sometimes we do that as a service and other times there's third parties we partner with that can do that service better you know, than us given a very particular thing. So we try to figure out what is the production support they need such that their content can be in as many places as possible and that the talent can focus on the platforms that matter the most for them and everything else sort of happens you know, automatically in the background. That's another sort of, I think, baseline activity. And then look, as you progress through, as the numbers grow, as you, you know, sort of prove that your audience is, is you can convert your audience, then, then I think things get really interesting. And so what are the business opportunities beyond just the content that you can leverage, right? Is it time to set up a subscription business, right? For your core fans? Is it time to start a merchandising line? Is it time to start a business that you're interested in? Those are all, all the things that we're sort of helping navigate and sort of put into a plan. So there's a framework where you're one, it's one thing and you're sort of continuing to see growth around your business. And so that that's how we sort of interact in, with our creators, which means we need to know not all the players, but about as many of the players in the market, whether they're startups looking for access to this creator class whether it's advertisers looking for access to this creator class or whether it's the large platforms that are looking not maybe not for access looking looking to find you know opportunities on their platforms that that make sense for all their initiatives and we're usually front and center trying to present those opportunities to them so Lebrilson, let me ask you this i'm thinking a lot of people are, are listening to you and saying and wondering what is your when you think about your ideal client what is your ideal client look like that's a, I mean, look, we're pretty diverse. So, so content, you know, we have a, a, t a team that's focused on esports. We have a team that's just focused on culinary, which we think is really, you know, exciting space and culinary on TikTok is, you know, super exciting for us in terms of just how, how fast it's growing and what we're seeing there. We have a really vibrant kids and family business. So, so, and, and we have a lot of other personalities and people doing really interesting things. Um, we have a bunch of animators and, and people like that, that we work with. So content itself 
isn't so genre is not a, a particular thing that we 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 have any bias one way or 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 the other to we're very open we we love things that resonate with people and i would say so look i think in a very simplified way our ideal um client is somebody who intuitively understands how to create community right through their content knows how to engage their community through content and kind of has sort of the final brand meter, you know, and knows what will and won't work inside that community. And that client, you know, and 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 they have aspirations to, you know, to do to create businesses and things like that. That that is the ideal client for us is somebody who really understands uh, that this is this is a, a two-way relationship with fans. And that if you sort of serve them right and loyally, uh, that there's a ton of opportunity to unlock from there. And I think there's some creators that really get that and some who who just somehow fall into this. And I think the ones that have long lasting careers are the ones who really have a firm grasp on what their audience is looking for, why they're there, and what opportunities are right to, to present to them. And we'll be right back with Reza after this break. Hey you, I'm Andrew Seaman. Do you want a new job? Or do you want to move forward in your career? Well, you should listen to my weekly show called Get Hired with Andrew Seaman. We talk about it all. And it's waiting for you, yes you, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's talk about this. You know, I think uh, creators themselves, I'm sure, think of themselves as entrepreneurs as well. Very much so. Right. And entrepreneurs and businesses and brands want to reach that next eyeball, that next consumer, that next generation, or even the present generation, and generate more income and revenue for their business. If you're working with a brand now, right, and an advertiser, how can they, how can they get more involved in the creator economy if they're not presently having a big presence there? I think what was happened during the pandemic, right, where it was very hard to shoot commercials, but this market kept on chugging along, right? So these were people who were making content with very small teams or as a family unit or at their home that a lot of lot of brands have shifted in. I, th- I don't know over my decade if there is a company we haven't worked with on some fundamental level in the space and i'm sure there is one but but it would you'd be hard pressed to find it i think the 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 challenge that a lot of mainstream advertisers still have with the space is how to do it at scale and how to how to really get the most value out of it because you know when you think about png or you think about even nike i mean they're buying such large impression loads and and there's so much volume they need to sort of sustain their brands and on a lot of levels. And I think, I think they struggle with, with how to just get the volume of content um, out there. And I think part of that solution or, or one way that the larger advertisers who again are looking to do something that, that rep that replicates what they're doing on the ad side or replicates what they're doing on TV. I think they, they really have to, sort of really simplify what they're looking for and buy it at a much more scaled level. That's kind of how I'm thinking. Large brands, the biggest challenge is really how do they scale it? And and I think a lot of it comes from the need to control every 
every every element of it, I think that's the the challenge that they face. And so some of the larger brands are challenged that way, but most that we deal with, you know, over the last decade, it's gone from very complicated to net today. It's a very easy execution. There are challenges with it, like all advertising there are challenges with, but but the challenges are pretty, pretty like run of the mill and, and just sort of part of the business at this point. Well, I, I love to ask you this, you know, what are you most excited about? What type of content? Are we talking video, which obviously we know you have a lot of background with YouTube. Video, is it audio? We know, we know podcasting, but also live audio, right? Audio events. Um, or is it traditional social, or is it really a combination of all three? Which of the, which to you right now do you feel like is so relevant? Vertical video, like if you're gonna like, is probably becoming the dominant format of video consumption on on the internet, right? So that essentially TikTok and Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts and even Snapchat, even though it's a slightly different way of using it, it, it the, the and the and the editing is probably a little different in terms of how you deliver content has a similar perspective and so vertical video if you're saying where's all the energy at where's every platform spending every moment of every day where should creators be at i would say vertical video is what's happening today and probably what will be happening in the future the other reality right the financial reality is that horizontal video for lack of a better, you know, for traditional video or YouTube video or whatever, that is still the economic engine that is powering a lot of the internet's um, earnings when it comes to video. I wouldn't count it out. It's a significant revenue stream for Facebook and YouTube and others. And so that's the, that's the big tension, but all the platforms, if you were starting today, vertical videos literally the only thing you need to focus on. It's where all the action is and all the audience attention and all the growth. Well, Reza, it's amazing. I, I heard you say, you know, traditional like YouTube. Um, I think many people are, are watching and, and listening and saying YouTube. I still think that is something is really, really new. But now vertical video is if you're going to start investing your time and, and really honing in, that's an area to be focused on. Thank you so much, Reza, for sharing that with us. I know there's something that talk about a creator's house partnership. What is this? Is it something that you can share with us? Sure. Yeah, we recently partnered with um, Live Nation to do a creator house. I think there's a lot of creator houses in the market. So the concept of putting eight people in a home, I don't think is new or frankly, uh, you know, super innovative. The innovation we're bringing to it is we're marrying, you know, sort of eight creators who we're really excited about, who think we think have really strong and unique voices with the opportunity to be part of like significant cult, pop culture zeitgeist moments through the power of the sort of the Live Nation network, right? So we were on the field at the Super Bowl post game, which is a pretty unique, uh, very, very rarefied sort of place to be. Um, they just went to the Kanye concert in Miami and got a whole you know, tour of the, the set and the environment, which was pretty awesome. They just spent the weekend at the Okeechobee Festival in, in Orlando. And they're going to go, you know, throughout the course of this year, they'll, they'll spend, I don't know, the majority of their weekends at these large, you know, pretty, pretty interesting cultural moments um, in music and live entertainment. And we think that'll be a really unique sort of feature to what we're doing. And, and the, the second piece is we're putting a, a pretty hefty commitment on the production side. So 
we're going to, you know, we, we think we're going to be accelerating sort of the creative output of these creators over the course of the next month or two as we as we sort of get this thing dialed in and, and moving in the right direction. So we're, we're, we're really excited about it. It's called Last to Leave. Um, the hashtag is L2L. And um, yeah, we're feeling good about it. Well, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Hashtag LTL. We'll have to follow that hashtag very carefully then. That's exciting. I mean, I'm sure brands this is brands love this because basically when you're bringing in such large creators with such large audiences, even before the event begins, you know that the stature of that audience, that eyeball, is going to be so significant. So exciting times, Reza. No. Do you do you ever get tired of what you're doing? No, the answer is no. I love I love what I'm doing. It's it's always a new there's always a new adventure every day it's kind of interesting so five years from now what do you see what are you excited about five years from now that's a really good question I, look I, I would like to see because look we started this business in the middle of a pandemic and today we're 40 people we still don't have an office location so i'd like to see us in a headquarters and in a and in a proper setting hopefully this year you know we can we can do that but but more long term there is a lot to be done on the service side of the creator economy in terms of building support and businesses around creators that that are that are sort of doing that and so our, our goal five years from now would to be working you know to, to have created the sort of the leading service offering for creators who are working in the creator economy and 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 we think like i said it'll start with management We're, we've started a content distribution syndication business that is that is nascent and and we expect to add other service layers as we as we go. So five years from now, I'd like to see a handful of those businesses be very mature and, and significant contributors to, to what we're what we're trying to do. And and frankly, hopefully that sort of next generation, because I think we're in the second generation of content creators, that third generation of content creators will have a company or I'm sure there'll be other competitors to go to that can sort of act like that studio or like that partner who can really help deliver, you know, the support they need to execute the, their vision. Did you have any doubts in the beginning? I mean, you know, going from traditional entertainment, going from traditional music to this, and, and did you, or did you always believe from, from the beginning that this was going to get this big? Because I think a lot of people are listening now, like, wow, I wish I had done what he did mm -hmm. in 2010. I wish during the, earlier in the pandemic, I had thought about this, you know, and, and built this and, and re recognize the fact that traditional media was struggling, right? We couldn't get people into studios safely. And yet you had, you, and people thought that there would be less content, but really the DIY, creators just created more content and it almost and people were sitting at home watching consuming more content i'm just curious to see your own journey what was your thought process there so i think look today i'm much more certain today than i was a decade ago when we made that transition and i was really fortunate right so my business partner was like-minded, right? In fact, most of my partners in this endeavor were highly like-minded in terms of where we wanted to go. And I think that's really critical when you're making a leap like that, particularly with a pre-existing business. So we had a very successful pre-existing business that we essentially pivoted into the space. So it was not, it was a little more complicated than just let's found something and start something. 
And so I had very supportive partners in that regard. And our, and our investor was also highly supportive of this because he was looking for, you know, I would, I would like to believe a significant outcome. And, and this looked like the opportunity that could provide that. Um, and I'm talking about the early days. Were there concerns and issues and pits in my stomach every night? We didn't know anything. I mean, we literally didn't know what we were doing and we charged into that space. It, it all seems easy and there's all these anecdotes, but like building a, a sales team, um, a media sales team um, that, that actually people care about and want to talk to in the marketplace. That's not the easiest thing because everyone's taught trying to get the, 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 the advertising money. And so you're competing with a lot of different interests. So, so there was a lot of things about it that um, were challenging and difficult, but, you know, I think collectively as a group, the attitude was we weren't going to lose, right? Which I think is really important. We had, we had a, a bunch of self-confidence and we were, we were, you know, we weren't going to be dumb about it. So, you know, we, we tried to do things as smartly as we could without a full vision of information that, that, that today it's a lot clearer what, what the business is than, than 10 years ago. That's incredible. And so I think it's very inspiring because I think a lot of people were starting a business, you know, that, that, that lack of clarity is totally normal. Okay. So this is, I'm glad that you shared that Reza. Um, let me ask you this. People are listening, they're watching, they're saying, how do I get on your radar? I'm excited. I think I could be one of your 200 one day. Yeah. What yeah. do you tell them to do? Well, I mean, Captain Obvious here, you got to be making a lot of content. You got to be making consistently. And I think here's one thing that's true, whether you're the artist formerly known as Prince or whether you're Vlad and Nikki, one of the biggest channels we work with, or Selena Spooky Boo or any number of other talent that the company works with. They all work harder than we do. And they're all self-reliant. The reality is there's only 24 hours in the day. Right. And you can't replicate yourself as the sort of the entrepreneur, which is what I'm going to describe the creator as or as the artist. Right. You can't replicate yourself. If you're if you're the one, you know, with that obsession, you will ultimately get to the destination you need to be at. And then people like us will show up at your door at the right time and, and in the moment where we can end, you know, add the most help. And there's no question that representation can be a force multiplier in a in a in an artist's journey. But if it's one of these things where you're waiting for me to give you some magic formula, that's not really how it works, right? You've got to do it on your own. You've got to understand your community. You've got to build the base, and then and then once that base is built, there's a there's a lot of folks who can help sort of lift the boat. And, and be part of the journey. Focus on the content, focus on, you know, really connecting with an audience, focus on building real scale around what it is you're doing. And the opportunities will flow naturally from that. Hear about, and this is that, now we know that you've had a ton of success. You've worked with some of the biggest players, you know, in entertainment and in digital and everything in between. Tell us about though, a challenge or a disappointment that you have had and how this pivoted into your career. Well, can I tell you something? Even, even your biggest successes, there's disappointment because success is not a single moment in time, right? It's a, it's an, it's a, an entire journey. So even in your quote unquote success, even in that journey, there's tons of disappointment 
that come along the way that in obstacles or however you want to describe these things that you got to overcome. So, so, so in terms of like disappointments, I can remember when I was involved with the music from the O Brother movie and the sound, the movie came out and the soundtrack came out and literally we sold like 10,000 records. Now this is a album that sold 10 million copies. First week though, we sold nothing. And I remember the conversation with the head of the label saying, are you going to support us? And the answer was like, dude, what you guys just bombed. We got super fortunate. We'd sort of done the work. We'd caught, we'd, we'd made a, a documentary about this music and, and what it, what it meant. And we'd done a concert special that we got on a PBS station. Not all, by the way, one PBS station in Oregon. And that thing went on like two weeks or three weeks after the initial launch of the movie. And the reviews were great. There was all this great hype about how great it is, but no one bought the record. And then out of one station in, I think it was Portland, it was, hey, we sold 8,000 copies in Portland. And then another PBS station picked it up and so on and so on and so on. And cut to a year later, the lead artists were playing at the Grammys we toured this thing a couple hundred shows um, and the thing was a massive success. But the first six, eight weeks of it was kind of a bomb. That's the nature of success. If you looked at it just at the Grammys, you know, that's one moment in time. That was a huge moment. That was a great moment. But there was many moments of failure in launching that project that happened. And so I think that's that's sort of, you know, those things are actually for me the funnest stories because there's usually a joke and a humor and a twist and you won at the end. So those are the best those are the best parts of the the process of of, of completing a project or the are these challenges. Yeah, I mean that's a great story. I think so many of us can relate to that, right? Initially it's it's not a success and it could take weeks, but it took a lot of grit. You continue to push. You went to Portland. That's incredible. We love that. All right. So then I got to ask you this, Reza. I want to know how you celebrate your wins. When something goes right, what do you do and who do you celebrate with? Well, I mean, it's funny. Um, I celebrate with my team all the time, right? So we're very good. We hope we like to be good at celebrating small wins with our team so that everyone understands that those are, you know, those it's the little accomplishments strung out over a long period of time that that is essentially, you know, doing a good job for your clients or yourself or your career. So we're, we try to be really good about doing that internally with our teams. Clearly, we celebrate successful milestones with our clients every time they're 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 hitting these 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 milestones. And then on a on a personal level, I mean, look, I've been in business with the same you know folks for I mean almost. 15 years now. And so the group of us, our partner, that, you know, sort of my partners and I are incredibly close. And we oftentimes when we have sort of bigger corporate milestones, sort of reflect together on what's going on. And then obviously my family, the hard part about celebrating wins is there's always something else to do, right? There's always the next tier and there's always the next level up and, and all of that. And so, you know, uh, that's that's sort of one of the challenges in life is remembering to do that. But but I think we've tried to do that the best we can. That's good to hear. I'm glad. And I hope you will do more of that, Reza, because I think that, you know, you deserve it. And so thank you so much for being so generous. You know I mean? Awesome. I said thank yeah, you. Oh, you are so sweet. Well, thank you so much for being here. What a treat to have you. We want to celebrate you. Where do, should people follow you, Reza? I'm at Reza is out on Twitter. Um, same at 
on on Instagram. I think there's an underscore Rezazad underscore on IG. So yeah, you can follow me there if you want to. Tell me, are you thinking about building your company's brand or even your personal brand? Or maybe you've already started. Reza's insight and perspective is so relevant. Isn't it inspiring to hear that if you felt like you've been behind in this space that there's still so many opportunities yet to build out a media presence? That's how I feel. Vertical video, check. Horizontal video, well, check that for now too. And let's not forget podcasting, right? Well, tell me in comments, have you tried video? And if you have, what's worked best for you and your brand? Do you feel like you've been oversaturated with original content? Or do you feel like there's still a lot of room to grow? Please follow me here. Look me up on LinkedIn. Say hello. I'd love to hear from you. To learn more about me or to book a professional speaker for your next event, please visit winniesun.com. And join me again next week as we share another new episode of Yes Factor with you. Thank you and be well.